Welcome to Revival in Jesus' Way. Revival can happen now when you follow the way of the Master in all aspects, making disciples in His way, reasoning for truth in His way, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit as He did. We encourage you to dream big for God's kingdom. I'm your host, Tim Cahoe. And I am Ying Yan Xu. You're listening to episode 20, Foundation Series 9 God's Purpose for His Creation. How can we not live a life in vain? Until now, we have given reasons for God's existence and how He is the loving and just, good creator of all things. We reasoned through the reliability of the scripture and also the picture of what humanity, what, what human nature is really like. We would now like to talk about crucial topics that can really affect a person's living out of faith. The topic is, what is God doing in this world? Just uh, to give a short explanation of what we'll talk about, um, God is working to restore a fallen world. For people, they don't care for others as they would themselves. Um, a world where there's murder, or hate, theft, all different forms of evil. A world that um, has been shaped by sin, uh, and it's sin-filled leaders, which is human beings. Um, he's working to restore the kingdom of God picture on this earth. Um, this has been his task since the fall, even since before the foundation of the earth was set. And it has happened in phases with the ultimate goal of setting up the kingdom of God on earth. And we see this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. And John writes, um, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So this is the ultimate goal. God is working through. He's, he's, he is a good God, as we saw. He, it's morally good. He's the creator of the earth. He created the earth for a purpose. He created human beings to rule and reign on the earth and take care of the earth, to take dominion over the earth and to make it into something um, really to to emulate this kingdom of God. Um, but man fell. And so now God is working through creation and he's working through these different means to bring about this ultimate kingdom that we see in Revelation where God is living with people. And like, man fell, so um, earlier we talked about that this world has been shaped by its sin-filled leaders, mm-hmm. and that leaders are human beings. So everything else, every the rest of God's uh, creation uh, was affected. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah, and that's a really good point to make. It, that includes nature, that includes animals, that includes every aspect of creation is actually affected by the the leaders as you see like in a, an organization or something for example if the leader goes awry if he starts pursuing purposes that really are not good the whole organization can't stand if the purpose of the organization if the those who lead really fall away it affects every aspect and god created this world to have leadership 
he created this world, um, it seems like around this concept of human beings really displaying his glory in a way. And God is a leader. God rules over all of creation. And man was meant to rule over this world. And so our fall affects drastically everything from nature, from our relationships with each other, from the way things behave with each other. Everything it has the effect of this fall. And God wants to restore that world. And and this is really a common a common sense thing. It's just like uh, when we have something, when we have a watch or something we really like and it's broken, and then we are to be responsible to fix it until it looks like new, it looks like as functional as before, mm. uh, unless we just throw it away, buy a new one. So, but but that's not where God goes. He could, but then he doesn't want to throw away human being, throw away this world. He tried to fix it. Mm, yeah, that's right. And we talked about God's character. We just finished that. But part of God's love is this sticking to this committed love. You know, he he sticks to his creation. You know, he has this commitment to not just cast us off, but really to see that, that glorious purpose come out in that, see himself be glorified really in this creation, and see his creation really be happy and joyful in him, which is the only way we can really be happy and joyful is in him, but we're disconnected from him. So until that connection is restored, the world can't be anything like what God created it to be. Mm-hmm. It's just full of despair and destruction. And to be honest, um, human being is more difficult to be fixed compared to a watch. Uh, first, in the sense that a watch doesn't have a choice. A, a watch would just lie there, let you fix it. So mm. it's pretty quick, can be efficient. That's what... Um, that, I think that's what Bible talks about, that we are going to be a living sacrifice, because that's really easier, and that's the, the uh, shortest path and most effective path if we submit ourselves, if we surrender. Um, this, well, the same reason, I think, is, uh, of course, our human beings are more complex hmm. than, than the watch. And sin needs to be dealt with, too, because God is a just God, and so sin can't just kind of be there and be unpunished. There has to be a judgment for all those wrong things that have happened. So how, you know, that that's why there is a problem of evil. We say all this evil in the world, what is God going to do about it? You know, people very fiercely like, what is God going to do about but all this God evil? God is doing about mm, it. It's not, right. not, it's not about God, what God is going to do about mm, it. That's right. And so um, we, what we see is, Actually, in, through Scripture, we see God working in these five distinct phases um, throughout time. And so we kind of start out right after sin, and then there's this free-for-all phase. And it just it really shows the extent of human evil. Um, highlights of this are Cain murdering his brother Abel. Um, there's the Tower of Babel where people, uh, well, there's Noah's flood first, where the whole world is filled with evil, God says, and God just wants to flood the earth, and there's only one family that survives, and kind of one of each animal, to try to restart this creation. Um, but then that also couldn't be a restart, because there's, the root issue still needs to be dealt with, this sin issue. You have the Tower of Babel, and people try to rise up again against God, and you just see this pattern of humanity just 
leans towards just not being in step with God, not really drawing near to God, not trusting God and wanting to build their own things separate from God and then becoming more and more evil in the process. So uh, free for all, you mean, um, it's not like God doesn't have a standard. It's like God holds back on any restriction and just let people act out from their nature. Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah, it's more by free for all. I mean, more like there's God is not really doing too many things to counteract this. He's he's kind of letting it play itself out, letting humanity do as their own heart leads them to do. And we see the results of the result of that is just pure evil, just uh, evil here, evil there, and just building onto evil to the point of, like I said, Noah's flood is a big kind of central moment of that time where God needs to flood the whole earth because people had just become so evil. Now, don't get us wrong that we believe all the time God gave human being a free will. Hmm. But it's just here particularly because in other phases uh, you have God called Abraham, God called out a nation, try to set up an example, God sent Jesus. So it's like it has... Um, uh, God, it seems like God more actively interact with human being and uh, try to show and tell human being what is the standard. Mm, yeah, God's actively trying to fix the situation later. Um, and so, but then there's this other piece in scripture that comes up again and again of where it's kind of like people need to see the fruit of their evil before we're really willing to completely turn to God. And I think that's part of why these generations happen that really show out this is what it's like when we really live completely in our own way, when we don't really have God's presence here. And this was the start of um, the, the kind of the, the root where Abraham came out of. And that's when we go into phase number two. This is the calling of the nation of Israel. And specifically, it was God giving a promise to the person Abraham that he would have many generations and that he himself, his seed, would bless all of the nations. So again, you see this plan that God is planning to restore the whole world through Abraham and through his seed. And that's where this call of the nation of Israel comes from, is that Israel as a nation, and then ultimately we see from what Paul says that this seed itself is Jesus Christ, is meant to rescue the world out of this situation. Um, so, and, and for Israel itself, what we see is um, what um, some scholars call a microcosm. A microcosm is just a small kind of um, version of a bigger thing. It's a, it's a small living out of some, some bigger principle, of some bigger um, type of thing. So we see this, this microcosm of the whole world in Israel. Um, and it goes right down to the temple and the, the Levites or the priests within Israel. Um, so Israel is this nation that God is living in. He's with them. Later we see in Exodus that God is like living in the temple in the center of them and that the rest of, they have kind of this holiness compared to the rest of the nations. They are being with God and they're showing the nations what life with God is really like. Um, Israel also shows the bankruptcy of human nature, given God's call to life in his kingdom. 
he gave them laws, you know, through the Ten Commandments, but then through a lot of other laws. That's really what Leviticus and Deuteronomy are, are these laws that he gave them to kind of show them out in comparison to the nations. He, really the laws, like we talked about in the God's Nature episode, they're to put in restrictions to get people back to really loving each other as God calls them to. He, he's putting in all these restrictions on what human nature has become up until uh, Moses' day to try to draw people back into this life, to say, oh, hey, here, this, here's a line on this. Don't, don't do this. Don't treat each other this way. If this happens, then there's a, this severe punishment for this. The kids need to respect their parents. You know, there's all these different layers of getting people back to the kingdom picture of really this picture of really respect and loving one another authentically and truly. Um, and then Israel is a this small microcosm with the whole earth should be, but then we also see them too having this, this same disease of the whole earth and moving away from God, despite God being right there with them. And then the microcosm even more within the temple and the priests is you see again and again in the prophets that the priests and the leaders of Israel are falling away. They're supposed to be the most central, this small group of people who are in front of God, but actually they keep falling away. And we see a lesson like we saw too in Noah that the central issue, there's a central issue that needs to be dealt with. People are not really loving God authentically with their hearts or finding ways to break these things. They're still doing idol worship. And so human nature continues to fall away from God in this second phase. But it's more clearly demonstrated. You know, we see through Israel, through the priests, through these things, uh, more clearly um, how bad the condition of us is. And even when God is right in front of us, right there with us, we can't live according to his good principles. Mm. Um, then we go into the third phase, which is this God with us phase, where Jesus Christ comes into the world. And John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh. Right, the, the word, the expression of God came down and became a human being to really show us what it's like. And Jesus shook things up by coming into the world and bringing grace along with truth. So one of the things we see in John 1, it says that Moses, you know, brought truth, but then Jesus brought grace and truth. You know, Moses gave us this kind of halfway picture, uh, and he showed us this is what God's righteousness is like. And people got a clear picture of what God's righteousness is like. But there was no, they couldn't live it out wholly. They saw, all they could see is the bankruptcy of their nature but there was no grace there was no hope for now restoration of the the evil that we had done we were stuck we saw we could see our evil clearly we could see that we couldn't live up to god's righteousness clearly in these other phases but we had no real hope of being restored and so people in the old testament really cry out those who are really righteous quote unquote righteous those people who really get it they cry out to God and they say, you know, wretched man that I am, you know, like, like Paul says in um, Romans. But the, in the Old Testament, this is the, kind of the attitude of people really seeking to be right with God. But then they all they see is really how broken and unable to be righteous they are. And that's and so Jesus brought in this grace with truth. He showed all mankind how to live before God. 
and he dealt with sin once and for all and eliminated the barrier between us and God um, through each of those microcosms. So you remember that the when Jesus died on the cross, actually the temple shroud was actually torn, which was a piece of material that was between the Holy of Holies, so the center and the temple where God was supposed to have dwelled. It it created a separation between him and the regular priests. Well, that was actually ripped the day that Jesus was crucified, and that represented now actually God could be, you know, quote-unquote, with those priests, but also with all of mankind, that there's no longer a barrier. God isn't going to put a barrier in between us anymore because the real reality barrier, which was our sin, was dealt with in Jesus because he paid that punishment. So this this third phase is this this phase of God with us. Now Christ walking among. Christ is here now. Um, and then we go... And the privilege brings responsibility. Mm. Because now everybody becomes priests. Mm, that's right. Yeah, so you, as we enter into this new phase, instead of there being just one central um, group of priests, now we all have that same access. Now we're all in the Holy of Holies in a way, once we come into Christ, because that barrier is removed, and we all now are directly in front of Christ. Yeah, it, it has, me and Anne were talking about this other day, Scripture has this balance of heirs versus slaves. And with an heir, a lot of times the thing we like to focus on is identity in Christ. You know, oh, you're loved by the Father. You know, you're now a child of the Father. You know, God really loves you. But also there's a responsibility as an heir. You have, you now have ownership. You are arguing uh, about Galatians 4, the beginning of Galatians 4, that Paul used a uh, metaphor mm. trying to help people to understand that the, the status of uh, the identity of being a slave and the identity of being a son. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And so the identity of being a son um, actually has a lot more to it, like we were saying, than, it, than what the identity of, uh, than just kind of like God loves you because he's your father now, but also there is this um, responsibility. Your yeah, your, yeah, your father's business and the house is part of you. Like you now have a piece in this. This is this is yours. This is something really to take responsibility for and to be take your charge of. And that's when we enter into this fourth phase, which is the age of grace. So now God sends his Holy Spirit down to the church after Jesus rises again he gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is one place we see it. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what he does is on Pentecost, he sends the Holy Spirit into that group of believers that were commissioned. And that is the part, that's that's what we're also a part of, is this if we've come to Christ, if we've received his Holy Spirit, we're part of this this age of grace. And so God has sent his Holy Spirit down to fill people, and we're called to proclaim the message of the gospel and to teach others to obey all the commandments that um, all the commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples, to obey according to kingdom living. We're also this initial picture of kingdom living that we had. Now we're called, we're commissioned by Jesus, given the strength by the Holy Spirit, given an example through this previous phase to see now 
in this age of grace with these tools to really live out and make disciples. So, and so this is kind of the culmination of what God is doing, these different phases. The final phase is actually the resurrection of all people, um, the righteous and then the unrighteous, and it's followed by a judgment. And it says that all people, and we talked about this again in Revelation 20, you know, all people for all their deeds in front of God will be judged. And But God desires this fourth phase to go on as long as possible. Um, that's the age of grace phase, and so that as many people um, can be saved that will be. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So Peter says that God is not like taking, you know, a long, he's not being slow and waiting to finish his plan. He's actually being patient with you. He's being patient so as many who might be able to come would come, as many who wouldn't harden their hearts towards him. But he's saying the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. You're not going to realize it came because there will be a day when people's hearts are so hardened that there won't be anyone else who will be able to be saved. And then the end will come. And it's going to come as a shock to a lot of people because a lot of people will say, oh, well, it can't be that far. But God knows when really there aren't any more who really are going to be able to be saved. You aren't going to be able to be discipled and led to really walk with the Lord. And his judgment will come at that time. And his judgment will be a terrible thing because unless we've received Christ and we've walked with him, um, that's it's a terrible thing to have all of your deeds and all of your thoughts and intentions really brought in front of you. And then the darkness that you may have lived out in your life to really only be really shown on that day and be undealt with and ripe for judgment. So moving on, I'm going to focus in a little bit on second phase on and then talk specifically about phases three and four because we're living in state stage four um, with this age of grace. So I really want to kind of zoom in on that. Um, but in stage two, because once we get into stage two and on, we see a lot of these things kind of being repeated. Yeah, they stay kind yeah. of they stay with it. The you know, the different stages, what happened in those previous stages stays as you go forward. So it's not like sometimes we imagine there's this, just this radical each of these stages we kind of have in the back of our mind and they just switch. But so how many people would say that um, actually New Testament and Old Testament have um, a lot of sim similarities? Mm, yeah, very few. Right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like I've met, even us doing um, discipleship, like a lot of times the hardest thing to get people into is the Old Testament. So we want to challenge that. So, <laughs> we do, yeah. Uh, let's try. Yeah. Can I read the verses? Yeah, yeah. This is a So this is a good summary, I think, this verse in Jeremiah of how God dealt with Israel. And I think it gives us a good picture of how God is dealing with the world in a way. Uh, Jeremiah 18, 1 to 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, 
so it seemed good to the potters to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in a potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will re relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. And if thus evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the man of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return, everyone, from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Mm. Yeah, so I think this verse actually is a pretty good summary of a lot of what... Um, uh, how God deals with the nations, especially in this phase two with Israel and then going on. Now, Israel is this microcosm. And as we see, actually, in like Revelation 7, Romans 11, 25, um, God is continuing actually until the end. God is working specially in Israel. Yeah, just I'll read Romans 11, 25 real quick. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So there's this picture of in Revelation 7 and Romans 11 are just a couple of examples, but of how God is going to continue to actually use the nation of Israel in the future, how the nation of Israel will come to God as a nation, not just kind of like us representing Israel, but really Israel will continue to be used. So there's this continuation of Israel um, there's this continuation of God's dealing with the nations too. There's this, you know, God says that if a nation repents, that He will um, heal that nation. He'll, He'll, He won't do the kind of punishments and things that He's proclaimed. He'll hold those off. There's still this kind of dealing with the nations. There's still this working through nation states. Um, for instance, in um, Romans 13, it gives a good example of how um, God is um, that. The government doesn't bear the sword without a reason, but it's a minister of God, actually. And when you take this and compare it to Daniel chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, which says, Blessed is the name of God forever and ever, to whom um, belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So you see, actually, this is a continuation. God continues to set up governments to hold off evil. He continues to work through nations through order, these different functions of order, through things like the family. You know, there's a lot of words in the New Testament towards the family, how the family should be treated. Um, so um, it, so God continues to work through governments, and he's also working through Christians as salt and light, living throughout the world. You know, Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit um, through their family life, through working, you know, practical holiness, 
um, through their work, through their jobs. You know, jobs are another way of like holding off evil. There's a lot of like good that comes from the jobs that we have of trying to make people's lives really better to try and make them more good. There's a lot of there's a lot of good, whether you're working in the military, you're working in the post office, like we had talked about a few days ago, you're cleaning up like um, your janitors, you know, cleaning up you know, dirty things, there's some, or business, you know, whatever business you're in, if your business is doing good for people, like there's a lot of those ways God is working in the general grace. But specifically, he's also working um, through making disciples, through Christians who should be making disciples, training and proclaiming his word. Um, So you have God's general grace, which is working through the family and all these means that it had worked through through the previous phases up until the phase where Jesus comes and now this age of grace. Um, and you, and then you have the new thing with this age of grace and the kingdom itself is being grown through um, Jesus' disciples. Um, so th- this is the central thing. You know, some of the things that go along with it, it's like Jesus refused. Um, he said that my kingdom is not of this world, the Potiphar. So like there's this, this mini kingdom of God in the midst of the overall world structure. And God in the overall world structure, God is working through general grace is the picture. But God is also working through something, this kind of bubble, which is the disciples, which is the kingdom of God. The real kingdom of God is being brought up in the midst of this. And this is God's primary place where he's working. He's working through Christians and through disciples that are really living out the whole kingdom life that are making disciples and are also living well in the world. They're also in the world, but they're also in this microcosm bubble in a way of the kingdom of God, bringing it into the rest of the world. Yeah. God really tried to show his heart when he asked um, Jeremiah. And, and, and it's so sad because in a, in a time at that time and nowadays too, that God can find so few people that he can share his heart with. Mm. So he, he, he showed him like, you know, in a very vivid way, you go to a place, you watch someone work and, and, and you, you tell me what that happens. And then God gave him the interpretation of that actually to say that, um, in shaping a person or in shaping a country, God doesn't have the complete freedom because God's complete freedom, if God has complete freedom that, hey, I want to shape Israel to be like this kind of nation, all the scandals actually we read now from the Old Testament would not exist mm-hmm. because God has the ability to take away everybody's um a free will choice, mm. right? So, so that um, God can shape them into a beautiful vessel. That's mm. really God's will. God, God's will is really want to sh- uh, shape them into a beautiful vessel. But then, when the clay mm. is not willing, that's what God says. God says, if you change your mind, if you leave your evil way, then I, then I can shape you. Then I will relent. Of those things, those curses I said, those punishments I said, I will send to you. I wouldn't. I will give you blessing. That's simple. Mm-hmm. Um, if you behave well, I give you blessing. If you don't behave well, um, I have to. I'm a just God. I have. I waited, but then I have to give you the punishment. Mm, yeah, exactly. God is, and it even says like the Potter's picture. Like he's trying to make it into something beautiful, and then he 
can't because the clay just won't be made into this kind of beautiful image. And that's kind of the horror, too, of when we choose in our free will to not completely fall after God, then God can't make us into the glorious and wonderful thing he's trying to, he desires to work us into. He's given us actually power, a lot of power in a way that we can, in a way, resist God. And and this is just such a common sense. I felt like for, for everybody, really, nobody can force nobody. Just mm. just like just like um in in a in a family in the parents can offer all the good environment try to shape this kid well but then sometimes it maybe it turn out to be some kids suppose the parents you know really um good and godly and follow God and really use the the right way and but then sometimes when someone just rejects someone has all the good resources and good reasons to grow well but then someone choose not to. Um, you know, it, mm. that, that's that's what that person gets. That's how it, uh, someone can live a a life in vain. I mean, and so like in so this principle really hasn't been changed. Mm. So in New Testament too, that disciple making is the shaping of someone to be Christ like, mm. and it's and God heart is always. For you, since God gave you the Great Commission, God gave God gave you God's desires for everybody to be saved and saved completely, eventually to look like Jesus. But then um, it depends almost like how rich your life will become, how godly your life become, how your life will be shaped. Almost completely depend on your level of surrender Mm, that's right yeah your level of allowing god to really probe into the deep areas of your life whether it's your relationships whether it's the the people that you've maybe you still hold grudges against and things like that whether it's really seeking to really trust him to really live out this whole mission there's a lot of people who would say like oh living to be like jesus that's too much and they, right there they say, like, it's too much, even though God has called me to this, even though it's clear in Scripture that this is what this is the sort of life he's calling to me, I'm still saying it's too much. And what does that really say? It says that I don't trust God for it. It's allowing all the way to the inner depths of ourselves that God can make us able and willing to be able to, to do all that he calls us to. You know, it's really allowing ourselves to be completely open and, and in front of God. But any area we like resist and we hold back from mm-hmm. him, it really keeps God from being able to shape us into the sort of person that we need to be in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Like we so can't be that decide, when we resist. Uh, you decide whether you have eternal life or eternal death. You decide actually whether you have a fruitful life or almost a life in vain. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And so... This is a crucial principle, and I feel like the other crucial thing from this, too, is this balance of the um, the general grace and the the overall what God is doing. I, I think the in Second Thessalonians, I think the Thessalonian, the First and Second Thessalonians are really two books that are really good as far as like thinking through this topic because the Thessalonians were a group that really were passionately for God. Like they were very passionate. They received the gospel with passion when they received it. But then certain people in the group were trying to kind of leave their jobs and just say, oh, we're just living for the kingdom. 
oh, Jesus will be back soon anyway. And, um, and so second, that's, uh, second Thessalonians 3, 7 to 13. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exalt in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Yeah, and so Paul exhorts this church who's really, in a lot of ways, they're living out the gospel. They're, they're beginning to really understand it about making disciples. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, Paul talks about how their proclamation of the gospel is actually known throughout all the surrounding regions. They're really going out with their business and things like that and bringing the message of the gospel to people and helping them to really live it out. But Paul also makes sure to remind them, hey, it's not right that you go and kind of aren't making your own, living out your own life in a quiet way, that you aren't really living in a, a good and honorable way, that you aren't living out your jobs well, that you aren't doing the things that a person is supposed to be doing well. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's Because this, they already understand, they're the background, they already understand like, yeah, of course, uh, live for the kingdom, um, uh, make disciples. That's mm-hmm. like a giving. Every Christian has has this giving. Personally, make disciples. So Paul is saying, like, you should you should do all those things which are your responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Do all those things well. Yeah, and there's one verse that I really like where Paul says, like, I want you to do even more excellently. Do more and more. He says again and again throughout First Thessalonians, he's saying, you know, you're doing well. Actually, you get it. You get the central thing, but you need to go further. You need to really live out a godly life in addition to this. A lot of times we think about it one way or the other, but it's really both. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I, I want to build, and we actually talked about it during the sermon today a little bit, but to talk about um, actually Jesus' commission to Christians. And so I want to read out um, some of these central verses about in this age of grace, what is the purpose? What is a purpose statement on what us in this kingdom of God are centrally concerned with? Um, so the first verse is in John 17, verses 14 through 21. And Jesus is praying here for the disciples to the Father. He said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world, and I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, myself, that they themselves may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be in one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the whole world may believe that you sent me. And so in John 17, there's this picture of that the whole world may believe that you sent me, that um, you're, these believers would be centrally focused on helping the world to know me, that you sent me, Father, and that they would be sanctified in the truth. 
that they would continue this mission, that they would go into the world as Jesus was sent into the world, that we're also sent with that same mission, that same purpose. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we talk about this verse a lot because it's pretty complete. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said that it's it's baptizing people into this kingdom. It's, it's helping them really come into relationship with Jesus and then continue on to really be throughout their whole lives, including work and all of those things. It's part of it, but also in sharing their faith and being formed by the word, as we saw in John 17, all of these things, teaching all of these things is every believer's responsibility. It says, um, teach them to obey all that I commanded you. I always use the phrase like, do you realize that it is the whole package of Christianity mm-hmm. that as a discipler, you are responsible to deliver this whole package of Christianity. So the whole of Christianity through your life, through the Holy Spirit in your life, and your life to the other life. Mm. So because earlier today we talked about in our in our video in the Facebook page, Revival in Jesus Way Facebook page, mm. um, we we talk we talk about this. We talk about um People think uh, oftentimes a church will have a discipleship pastor or people will think, well, discipleship, disciple making is a very important part of Christianity. But then um, Jesus only has this one great commission. This one great commission is whole of mm. Christianity. Mm. And, and, I also, and I also talk about that, oh, well, sometimes people will say and I don't consider it it's a joke. I mean, people say like, you know, uh, I'm interested in all, uh, we can talk about other things about Christianity. Just don't talk to me that disciple making thing. And I think, mm, then I can only be silent because that's all. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's right. And so discipleship is right at the center and teaching to observe all that um, God commanded is right at the center because that's the kingdom living purpose. The of people really living out this kingdom life. Again, we're thinking about what is God's purpose, you know, why did he, he sent Israel to really live this out, but really they showed that there's a problem in being able to live it out. Even in the central microcosm of the priest, they couldn't live it out. They showed there was a problem with people and ourselves, that our hearts were so hardened toward God that we needed some breakthrough. And that breakthrough is really Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins, and is the process of discipleship, taking people along and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, all that and, Jesus has commanded us. Yeah, and how come when uh, human beings are recovered, all uh, the rest of the uh, creation will be recovered? Because think about how uh, the whole world um, is is synced with sin. It's because human being. you can go back to check Genesis 1 to 4 to see how... Um, because human being as the um what's that the the head creation of the creation right mm. and and they fell and then for that reason the land it means the rest of the world include the plants and animals and everything they are contaminated 
So because because God put all those the rest of the creation under the management of human being, uh, in the garden when in the garden of Eden when human being are com- completely in harmony with God, completely submit to God. Mm. So that's why God uh have God's work is mainly realized through disciple making, which is the the whole process of fixing human being. Mm. So when you fix the human being and the sin get soft, uh, get get rid of, you know, mm. the sin is which I mean God could take away like, hey, I just wipe out all this human being from early on when they were just two peoples and then recreate human being. But God is love. God doesn't choose that way. Mm. So God chose the way to restore you. When the leader of the creature um, are restored, and so the whole human, uh, be, and, uh, the whole creature will be restored. Mm, that's and right. that's, uh, you know, even... So 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 that's the, like the whole uh, like in Romans eight talks about the whole creature are yearning, uh, waiting for this process to be finished. Mm. So to to be honest, it's like um, your dog, your cats, your the whole creation are waiting for you to to submit to Christ and join this purpose and make disciples, join mm. this kingdom purpose. Think about your dog, your cats, your all those plants help you to make disciples well. Mm, that's all right. Yeah, and that's a good, um, vivid way to to pull it out about you know the whole earth is groaning. It says for the sons of God to be revealed. So the the thing the earth is groaning for is actually for the children of God, for the rightful rulers of this world to truly be revealed, and that's done through discipleship. That's done through People coming into relationship with Jesus and not just staying there, but really living out the whole kingdom life, living as Jesus lived. So just to, to summarize, uh, human beings are stuck in this fallen, um, hellish sin nature and are inclined towards evil and bringing the whole world with them and doing evil. So And God is working to transform people to be his proper image bearers again, and he has planned for his and his overall plan is for the whole earth to be restored through this. He is now working in an age of grace through disciples in his church, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit community and training them to live as children of God. Although God is holding evil at bay through things like work, through the institution like the family, through good good deeds, uh, you know, there's a lot of different forms that takes and through governments and rulers. Um, this is a temporary setup. As Isaiah 9, 6 says, one day the government will be on his shoulders, meaning Christ. And as Revelation points out, one day that, you know, the city of God will have actual God at the center of it, ruling and leading. Um, and, and that's the future of the world. So all these things in a way are temporary, although they're very important actually it's a very big part of holding evil at bay so that the message of salvation can really go out throughout the world and those things will be useful because again the world is going to be restored god is coming here so jobs government leading all those sort of things will continue on and continue to be important but it will do so with god as the head one day we will reign and we will reign with him that's right
Um, so why the, the two main points I hope that you'll take away from this is um, so you as a Christian understand the big picture and why it's important that we have as our primary goal making disciples. Again, this is this is leading into what God's main this. That's the only way that God's main purpose in the world is really being accomplished. That's your legacy as a Christian is how have you made disciples? Are you making disciples? And if not, then then when? If not, the then how? And that's the your life. Yeah. And that's the only, really the only way to avoid your life to be lived in vain. That's right. And then the second point I want um, people to realize is that, you know, your efforts towards your job, family, government, you know, helping nature um, is not in vain. And it's very needed. It's needed that we stay doing those things, that we stay trying to um, and influence government policy, things like that. It's it's very vital. We maintain our families. We're good members of our family. It's very vital that we have our job and we care about our job and we really try to promote it for the good of people. It's not in vain. Um, mm-hmm. A disciple of Jesus is the sort of person who takes proper responsibilities in all the areas a person should, in fact, be ruling. In fact, God's purpose for us is to rule on this earth. In all those without, areas. Think about without them, how were you? Would it be different how you deal with your job and how you deal with your family? And and that's what what it comes from. The discipleship is to restore you, so mm. that you can manage all those parts God entrusted to you more and more in Jesus' way. When when we just have the slogan of like we 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 just say like um, what would Jesus do? Mm. In one way, without discipleship, oftentimes, because you don't know God that well, you don't even would know in that situation what Jesus would do. And the second is, if we're not trained and grow in maturity, maturity means more and more Christ-like, right? In a situation comes to you, you wouldn't do what Jesus would do. Suppose you already know what Jesus would do. Mm, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, we hope you like this podcast and we hope it was helpful to you in living out this kingdom life. And um, please uh, take a little while and think about some applications to this, because this is a this is really a vitally important topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, sub- subscribe to our website. And also visit our Facebook ministry page. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good day.